Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. So, we're back in Philippians. Well, I say we're back in Philippians because we were there last week, weren't we? Uh, well, you were. Do you remember? I'm just going to move, get myself set up here. So we thank Peter for his ministry last week. Uh, the similar, he was in a similar place, but it'll be different. Uh, and as we look at it together, let me start with uh, a Bonhoeffer quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor and theologian. He wrote that in 1937, before the war. In 1945, he entered into the objective reality of that when he was hung by the Nazis. I want you to just bear that in mind as we move through this message. Let me just give you a brief recap. It's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it, since we were on it. Uh, we've been doing 7 to 14 of Philippians 3. We've had so far gaining Christ. Gaining Christ. I might, I might be too far forward. Let me, let me move forward just so you're not looking sideways. How's that? We've had gaining Christ. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish or dung that I may gain Christ. Can you see what Paul said what's happened to Paul? Here is a man who's gone through a, an internal revolution, something Dramatic has happened. His entire life has been built around Judaism. It's what is all he's ever known. He's, he's, he's moved forward in Judaism to, the, to an elite group of people. He belonged to the Pharisees. He knew the Bible virtually off by heart. He'd sold his life to Judaism. He breathed it. He put his confidence in it. His entire life, if you like, was defined by Judaism. Except now. Except now. That Damascus Road event so transformed Paul. And listen to this. That he could now regard Judaism, his heritage, his identity, as poo. As poo. It's exactly what he says. That's the strength of the word. Use there. As poo. For Paul, he realises that the be-all and end-all of his life and existence isn't Judaism. It's far from Judaism. In fact, it's a, it's, a, it's a term of comparison. In fact, what he has found is so brilliant that Judaism in comparison is poo. That's, that's the point here. It's in comparison that what he's found is so amazing that everything else in his entire life pursuit is rubbish. If you want to hear more of that, you have to listen to the sermon. The second thing, this was the week after we did 
We looked at the fact that Paul was obtaining a righteousness that God accepts. That Paul was obtaining a righteousness that God accepts. Here's the reality of our situation. We do it on Christianity Explored. Our biggest problem as humans isn't COVID. It isn't isn't even the bad job. And I know about bad jobs. Kidding. Okay? It's not about bad jobs. Okay? What is it? What is our, as a human race, what is our biggest problem? The, The worst predicament? Our worst reality? It's... It's the wall that exists between not Russia and Ukraine. It's the wall that exists between our maker and us. That is the worst reality of human existence. We are odds with our maker. The Bible says that, that, that we are enemies of our God. In fact, he calls us Here's a term, you may not like this, it calls us rebels. It puts us in the same camp as Adam and as a consequence of of that reality of this war that we're alienated from our maker and the only solution, before the solution, what is the inevitable end of being at war with your maker? What is the inevitable outcome of that? Thank you, Nikki. It's why we die. Death is the inevitable outcome of being a war with God. And there's only one solution. There's just two. You die because that's the inevitable end of being a war with our maker. Or we are justified by our maker. Either we die the inevitable death that, we, that our sins demand, which will be just. Or we receive justification from our maker. Justification is, is, a, is a term that simply means, we know this, justification means being made right with God. And being made right with God is the only alternative. Is the, and, and what Paul finds, this is what he finds, and this is what excites him. What is more, I consider everything a loss. So he, can, he considers his entire Jewish history a loss. He cares no longer for it. His taste of change, okay, compared to the surpassing greatness, and this is what we say about comparison, Judaism is not poo, but compared to Jesus it's poo. And you can quote me, or you can quote the Bible. Okay, Judaism is not poo, but compared to Jesus it's poo. That's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is saying. Look, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them poo that I may gain Christ, and, be, and here's what he gets, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, no longer trusting in Judaism that lied to me, or rather I misread Judaism, and thought that it could make me right with God, I now discover and he didn't make me right with God at all. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that doesn't work, that comes from the law that you, that you fail on, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Paul is saying, the war with God ends. I am justified, 
Not by Judaism. I count that as rubbish now. But by faith in Christ. And that's why Jesus is better. That's why Jesus is so good. Okay, they're the two previous sermons. I'll better shorten this one together. This is today's sermon, okay? Today's sermon. Knowing Christ, the third point. Knowing Christ experientially. Knowing Christ experientially. In, or in the fullest possible sense. So here's the thing. Paul has gained Christ, okay? He's acquired righteousness, justification. But for Paul, it's not enough. It's not enough. It ought to be enough to get Christ at the hope of heaven to be justified. It's the one thing you want. Justification. It ought to be enough. And in one sense, it is enough. Not for Paul. Listen to him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Can you see what he's saying? I've got what is quintessential, what is important, what every human needs. I've got justification. I know God. I'm going to be with him one day. This is that, uh, what's that little boy from the orphanage? What's his name? Who wants? Oliver. Oliver. This is the Oliver thing, isn't it? Please say, can I have some more? Paul wants more. In fact, Paul wants as much as it is humanly possible to get from God. He wants more. You can say, I, I, if you hear me talk about Paul, I love Paul. I regard him as the greatest Christian ever to have existed. And this is why. Because where he ought to be content in what he's got, he's got justification, okay? It's not enough. He wants something more. He wants to go a little further. He wants everything that is possible to get from this new relationship, this new Opportunity. You know that that saying that we have: you give someone a, a mile, and I give someone an inch, and I take a mile. That's Paul. You, you give him Jesus, you give him justification, rightness with God, heaven. And what does he do? He wants more, and he wants something that that is almost seems incomprehensible that a human could have. He wants more of Jesus, so much so. Here's Paul. He wanted so much so that he's prepared to pay the ultimate cost to gain it. So much so that he's prepared to gain the ultimate cost. Listen to him. I want to know Christ. This is how much I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want the fellowship of suffering. And I want to be like him in his death. Can you see what he's saying? I want so much more than the ordinary Christian gets. And in order to get it, I'm prepared to follow Jesus in his suffering and to follow Jesus in his death. That's how much I want. I don't just want what's available for the general populace. I want to go more. I want more. I want everything humanly possible. And Paul realizes the only way he can get more, go beyond the ordinary Christian life, if you like, is to follow Jesus to his death. Look, let me give you some examples. You've been paying your mortgage 15 years, 
25-year mortgage, you've got 10 years to go, you're doing well, all of a sudden you made redundant and work. You've missed three payments and your house is about to be repossessed. What do you do as a human? Well, you do everything you can to keep your property. You'd be a fool if you didn't. You're in good health. Okay? You're suddenly diagnosed with terminal illness. What do you do? What do you try and do? You, you try and find a solution for your illness. You've been living faithfully for Jesus in Nigeria, a difficult place for Christians to live, and all of a sudden, our militia raid your compound, and I've got you at gunpoint, and I want to assassinate you. What do you do? You, you, you try and wiggle your way out of that situation. If you've got any sense. Let me give you one more. Uh, you've got an opportunity to serve Jesus on the mission fields. Not in Australia. Okay? In, in Baghdad. And what are you doing? In your prayer you're thinking, I'm mishearing God. I'm mishearing. I think he meant, he meant Adelaide. Okay? But no, he's saying Baghdad. But you, you convince he's Adelaide. Okay? Because... Look, every one of us is wired for self-protection. Here's what we want. Here's, here's the reality. We want something of what Paul wants. We want to go more. We want more of Jesus. But here's how we want it. We want it at the least, at the minimal injury, at minimal suffering, and at minimal cost. That's us, isn't it? We think, yeah, but I want, I want Jesus like Paul. We do. But we want it at minimum injury, Minimum suffering and minimum cost. That's how we want it. And it's natural. Look, it's absolutely natural. It's, and it's understandable. Do you know, in World War II, do you know who did most of the awful, dirty work of assassinating or disposing of Jewish bodies? Ju disposing of Jewish bodies? The Jews. Yes, Sarah. Why? You know, I've, I've seen interviews with these with these Jews. You know, post-war. How could you do it? You know what they said? I remember what one one said. Because you don't understand the compulsion of the human soul to survive. You have no idea how hardwired we are. To survive, we will do anything when you're in that situation to survive. You see, we are hardwired as humans to survive. It's our instinct. It's what we're designed. It's how we've lived for so long in the, in the face of so many times in the face of World War II. The reason we're still alive in that pathetic, awful war is because we're driven for survival. And so, so I want you to give you the comparison between what the natural human condition is to survive... What Paul writes, he wants to enter into it by choice, into Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death. Can you see what's happened to him? Whatever that Damascus Road experience did, it was out of this world. Whatever happened, it happened to nobody else. The other men just saw, saw a light and... Uh, had no interest in it, but for Paul, something happened so, that so transformed him that he could pen these words. I want to know Jesus by sharing in the suffering 
that he had all through his life, right to his death, and I'm prepared even to go to death to get that. Look, we all know about superhero movies, Spider-Man. He's the ordinary chap, ordinary issues, gets bitten by a spider, and something changes at the molecular level, doesn't it? And his DNA level, he becomes transformed. Look, without trivialising this, that experience that Paul had on the Damascus Road transformed him at the DNA level almost. So here's a man who wants, who longs for, and is prepared to pay the ultimate cost of knowing Jesus. It's why he wrote in Philippians 1. We looked at it uh, some time back. You've done it in your home groups. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He sees the journey from life to death as something that he willfully chooses, that's something of benefit to him. He sees that journey for going from his normal, safe life as a respected theologian, as a respected Pharisee. He sees his journey of re- as a rejecting that, being ridiculed by his peers, being outlawed, being haunted, and being, having attempts of assassination, and ultimately succeeding. Paul sees that as the journey that he willfully chooses for his life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm on a trajectory where I'm going from where I was to death by choice to enter into an experience of Jesus that can be found in no other way. I want to know him. I want to look at that with you in more detail. Paul wants to go beyond the ordinary Christian life into having an experience of Jesus that is far deeper than any human has experienced. And Paul understands the only route to that is to enter into the experiences of Jesus himself. Knowing Christ experientially. Here's some of the detail. First of all, the power of Christ's resurrection. The first thing he wants is the power of Christ's resurrection. And this isn't selfish. Uh, This isn't about Paul just getting some power. Because he wants power. There's more to it. Look, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So he starts there. He makes his intent known. He wants something of the power of Jesus' resurrection. Look, when we think of the resurrection, I don't know about you, but I don't really think of it as a powerful event. And obviously, Jesus came to life. You know, that's a powerful event. But what I mean is, that this is a TNT event. What does t- our kids love TNT? They're always talking about TNT. Okay, not that we give it to them. Okay, don't get worried. Okay, we don't hand out TNT to our kids. Okay, we play with that. <laughs> no, not really. Okay, I want you to think of the resurrection as a TNT event. It was a powerful event. We had a dead person, a corpse. Okay, that corpse was transformed, I'll get to that in a second, was transformed into a living person. Not just a living person. What do we say about Jesus was the only resurrected person? He was transformed into a resurrected person. His entire molecular structure was reconfigured. Okay? This was a powerful event. Something of seismic energy energy. An, an energetic, it's not a word, is it? An explosive event occurred at the resurrection that transformed a corpse into a resurrected being. 
Look, this is the Turin Shroud you recognise. I don't know what you know about it. And look, look, you know, you know I'm not a fan of the many artefacts that the Roman Catholic Church comes up with. Okay, there are sayings on there that they have so many bits of the cross that you can make a hundred crosses. Okay, that doesn't mean to say that they don't ever have any genuine artefacts. Okay, now uh, I have no idea if the Turin Shroud is a genuine artefact. It's it's a piece of linen cloth of some length that has the negative image of the person. It's what makes it unique. In fact, I personally am inclined to believe it's authentic. On the basis that, look, I mean, let me just tell you quickly, you, those ladies, when the burial cloth was laid there, folded up nicely, who were missing Jesus, what, what, would, they, what would they have done? There is no way they would have lost that. That would have got passed on from... from Christian to Christian for who knows how long. I reckon there's a chance it could be real. But look, I'm not an archaeologist, so I can't prove it to you. But look, whether or not it's real or not, it's a negative image. And here's what they're saying is how it's been produced. It's partly why I feel it could be authentic. Is suggesting that this negative image could have only been produced okay, by an explosive power. That something so powerful occurred in that tomb that left an impression like that. Whether or not that's real or not, the point is this. That there's an explosive power at work in the resurrection. And for Paul, he wants... Look, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul is almost suggesting that two things. A... That he realizes there's an, there's an incredible power attached to God, and that power was a work of the resurrection. And he wants something of that in his own life. He realizes that in and of himself, he cannot live in a manner that glorifies God because of his fallen nature. But he realizes that, that the resurrection reveals a power that has the ability to transform the way we are, and Paul wants something of that. And secondly, he wants, he wants to know something of Jesus' power in order to enjoy fellowship, fellowship with Jesus from the inside. He wants to know something of the power that he possesses. So not only does Paul want to know Jesus and be prepared to suffer, he wants to know Jesus and something of the power that he possesses. An inside knowledge of Jesus. Secondly, Sharing in the sufferings of Christ, even unto death. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ, even unto death. And he goes on, the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. This isn't just morbid, okay? It's not just, just reveling in death here, okay? Listen to him elsewhere. This is Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what, you, what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul saw something of his suffering as necessary for the church. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 12. Look, he goes, when he's been suffering, we don't know what Paul suffered with, but it's something so gigantic, something so uh, debilitating perhaps, humiliating perhaps, Painful, perhaps. No one knows what he was suffering with, okay? But he says, he goes, he, he, he was so awful that he had to cry out to God three times for God to remove it and still 
God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul had already learned that to know Jesus and to have Jesus to the extent that he wanted him to be used by Jesus to the extent that Jesus was using him meant that he would suffer greatly. I've already mentioned Bonhoeffer to you. But I said to you, he wrote those words about the call to faith is a call to death. And then him dying or being killed at the age of 39 in 1945. It was 1945, wasn't it? Yes, just before the war ended. How signally has Dietrich Bonhoeffer been used by God? Someone tell me. How signally has Dietrich Bonhoeffer been used by God? He's probably one of the most famous theologians of the world. Do you know, he is known across all church circles, from the liberal wing to the extreme conservative wing. What price did he pay? His life and his suffering. And it's why Paul can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understands something about knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, growing in Jesus, being used by Jesus, being effectively used by Jesus, comes hand in hand together with great personal suffering. It's almost as though the life that Jesus had of being, of being hounded, and have been attempted to be assassinated and ultimately assassinated in the most gruesome way, it almost becomes the means by which we get to experience more of him. And Paul realises that. And his point is that he is prepared to suffer to that extent, to be used by Jesus to that extent, but more than that, for Paul it's not just to be used, but for Paul is to know something of who Jesus is. Feel and share with Jesus something of who he is. Walk with him in a way that no other human has ever walked. And to feel and experience something that no other human has ever experienced. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Paul demonstrated what that looks like. Bonhoeffer again, his second quote. And I'll just read the last part. As bearers of suffering, they stand in communion with the crucified. You see what Bonhoeffer is saying? That people who suffer, as bearers of suffering, they stand in communion with the crucified. What is the meaning of your suffering? It's Jesus calling you closer in communion with him. That is at the heart of Christian suffering. That is not at the heart of all suffering. Okay? It's at the heart of Christian suffering. It's whatever you face in your life. It's something that puts you in communion with Jesus. Every time you pray, Lord, I want you more. I want to know you more. I want a closer walk with you. You're asking Jesus. You're asking him. And you need to know this. Whenever you're asking Jesus for a closer walk with him, you're asking him to draw you into suffering. In fact, when you profess faith in Jesus and say, Lord, I want to follow you, 
You may not know this. And the guy who brought you to faith probably didn't tell you. You were saying to Jesus, I want to begin the walk that leads to the cross. That's what you were doing. When you made that profession of faith, and when you went down under the waters for baptism, you were saying, I am beginning the journey to death. And that comes to us in different degrees, it does. But I'll tell you here it comes. The greater to the degree that it comes to us, and Paul knows this, the greater, the greater our depth of fellowship with Jesus is, and the greater the more effectively we're used by Jesus in his service. This is what God said to Paul. Look, this is what he said to him. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, because Ananias was nervous about this man, Paul, who just got converted. Okay, he says, Go to Paul. Okay, so you're going to heal him. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentile. He's going to be the greatest missionary ever to have lived, okay? This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And, look, it goes hand in hand. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How do you become the greatest missionary ever to have lived? You suffer more greatly than any other Christian. You see how the two fit together? Paul suffered greatly because he was used greatly because he knew Jesus greatly. Here's the thing. Paul saw the risen Jesus on at least one, two, at least two occasions, maybe more. What was the, what was the cost of that? And so blindness, ultimately persecution and death. When he saw him the second time, he was about to go on trial for his life. Have you ever asked to see Jesus? Has anybody ever asked to see Jesus? Do you know what you're asking for when you ask that? If we don't, I'm, I'm going to tell you. If you ever ask to see Jesus, okay, you're asking him to put you on a collision course for persecution and death because that's when you will see him that's when you will see him you read the accounts of Christians who have seen Jesus through history and who are they? they're the martyrs they're the martyrs they are they're the ones on trial for their lives they're the ones who have been hounded and tortured to death okay you want to see Jesus? It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life. They go hand in hand. So if anybody ever tells me they've seen Jesus, I want to know how much did you suffer? Because if you haven't suffered, you have not seen him. If you have not suffered, you haven't seen him. Okay? Because they go together. The greater the reality of Jesus, the greater the suffering. The reason Paul had such intimate acquaintances with Jesus is because he suffered great. Look at the twelve disciples. They lived with Jesus. What was the cost for them? What was their cost? What was the cost? Yes, they were all assassinated with Jesus. They were all and not, they were just nicely assassinated with Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down. And so, look, I need to finish. And so, Paul wants Jesus. He wants more than the ordinary Christian life. But the only way he gets more of Jesus is to enter into his sufferings. Even to death, Christian, 
Whenever we pray, God, use my life. Whenever we pray, give my life greater significance and purpose. You are praying to join Jesus on the route to the cross. And in fact, your conversion was your very first prayer to join that thing. Suffering and suffering, sharing the sufferings of Christ. And lastly, and I'll be very quickly, knowing Christ through the resurrection. We've kind of touched on this, I'll, I'll be briefer here. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul seems almost doubting the fact that he's going to be resurrected. Look, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection. He almost seems to be doubting his own conversion. And it's something we do see in Paul. For someone so signally used by God, it surprises me that we see so much doubt in Paul's own Christian journey. I'm going to show you some of it. Look, 1 Corinthians 15. I am the least of the apostles that do not even deserve to be called an apostle. He didn't revel, look, I'm an apostle. He didn't think it as, you know, as something to attain for glory. No. He, did, he goes, look, if, if I am an apostle, I'm, I'm at the bottom. Okay? Something of doubt. Look at him in 1 Timothy 1.15. He goes, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And what does he say of himself? I'm the worst. And, and that is in the present continuous tense. In other words, he isn't saying, and I was the worst. What's he saying? He goes, I continue to be the worst. Paul understood that he struggled to live the Christian life. He understood that. Hey, next time you struggle, and you're struggling right now, if you're human and you're a Christian, you're struggling right now to live the Christian life. Paul struggled in some capacity to live the Christian life. He knew that even in his saved state, he was the chief of sinners. And listen, listen to him in 1 Corinthians 9. He goes, look, I beat my body and make him my slave so that... After having preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul had what I like to call a healthy dose of, I can't even think of the word, a lack of assurance. Now, I say a healthy dose because a, a bad dose of a lack of assurance is a bad thing. Forever wondering, am I, am I saved? Am I forgiven? Look, and some people really struggle with that. I want to encourage you, if you love the Lord Jesus, you are saved, you are forgiven. But, but for the rest of us here, okay, Paul had a healthy dose of a lack of assurance. Meaning, there was enough of a lack of assurance in Paul that pushed him to keep pushing. Uh, that, that, that stopped him from sitting on his laurels. That kept him keep on him. Look, he says, I beat my body. I don't want to find at the end of time that having led so many people to Jesus, that I myself am out. And so you know what I do, says Paul? I beat my body. I crucify my body. I torture my body. I make him my slave so that it lives in obedience to Jesus. And Christian, look, here's a reality about the Christian life. If you haven't learned it by now, here's a reality. It hurts. It hurts. It's painful to live the Christian life. And if it's easy for you, you're not living the Christian life. If it's easy for you, you're not living the Christian life. 
because it's a painful life of self-torture, self-conflict, of saying no. Hey, look, how easy is it to say no to sin? It's painful. But Paul's point is this. Okay, beyond his own doubt that he wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to get to the resurrection, A, because he wants to be resurrected and out of judgment. But ultimately, I think Paul's point is more than that. He wants to attain to the resurrection because, because, remember he's a guy who wants Jesus in the fullest, so he wants to attain to the resurrection because he wants Jesus in the resurrection. He wants to be resurrected because he wants Jesus in the resurrection. He wants to be there because he wants Jesus in that eternal state forever. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Christian, hey, you have a choice. You can settle for the easy Christian life. Okay? You believe in Jesus, you get baptized, you do a little bit for church, not too much, okay? And you get in with it. You may have a relatively easy life. But hey, hey, your assurance of faith is gone. If you're not pursuing Jesus, it, there's no assurance. You see, if I'm living in abject sin and I'm making no effort to pursue Jesus, I don't have any assurance. Regardless of what I did when I was 16. You know when I was 16? I professed faith and I got dunked in water. But if I'm now pursuing my own agenda with no concern for Jesus, no concern for his church, I don't have any assurance. My, my confession was poo. As a Christian, pursue Jesus. Your assurance of salvation comes as you pursue Jesus. And two... If you really want to be used by Jesus, you need to be prepared to suffer. And three, hey, don't settle for mediocre. Don't settle for the... Here's the thing, living in Adelaide, if you look around at how other Christians are living, you'll go nowhere in your faith. Because I can easily look at the Christians that are out there and think to myself, what am I thinking? I'm doing pretty well, mate. I'm doing pretty well. Okay? You know what Paul does? He looks at Jesus and he sees what? That he's falling short. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Pursue him. Look for a greater of Jesus. Okay, the rest of Christendom may just settle with with going along to church on a Sunday, singing a few fancy songs, putting a bit of money in the offering, and having a whale of a time in the world the rest of the week. Don't you do it! Don't you do it! Okay? Pursue Him. Know Him. Be prepared to enter into the fellowship of His suffering, even to death. And He is the reward. You will have a walk and a knowledge of Jesus that outweighs and overshadows everything in your path. Hey, you know that's that little sketch from Monty Python when he lost his limbs 
And he goes, don't worry, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> That's how you'll look at your suffering. The deeper and the more you pursue Jesus. I want to know him, says Paul, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, attaining unto the resurrection, something like that. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.